0: You can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Alright, so we've been away from Romans for a little bit. We're returning to spend time with an old friend. Let me remind you that Romans, in the very beginning, we have in the verse 15 verses this this doctrine of the authority of Scripture, of the Word of God. We're told about the great mission of, that Paul is on, that his desire is to fill the earth with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea, that he's been sent to spread the gospel to the nations, and he's doing this for the glory of God. And we're told the great thesis of the book. That book gives us this thesis. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So, the idea that we receive doctrine so that we are not ashamed of the gospel, but rather we glory in it. As we grow in understanding, we will not be ashamed of it. We will glory in it. And as we glory in it, we will be able to be bold, and we will be able to fear God rather than men. And so we will be able to speak the truth into the world, And that will result in the light dispersing the darkness. Now that gospel is the same gospel for the Jew and the Greek. It is the same gospel that saves men of every kind. There is one way of salvation for every man of every race. And that way of salvation is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, believing it. And that belief is a gift of God. In this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It is revealed from the objective revelation to your subjective faith, You are cause to believe. And so we are given this text out of Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. Life will be the possession of the just by faith. And so we consider chapters 1 to 3, the righteousness of God in himself. God is a righteous judge, and his law, Which shows his righteousness is displayed for us there. Verses chapters three to five teach us that God gives his righteousness as a gift by imputation, by crediting, by legal means, as a contractual, a covenantal, a business oriented transference of righteousness. And so the righteousness of God is imputed to the believer, given to the believer externally. There's a covering. Now, following that, in chapters 6 to 8, we look at the idea that because of the fact that we are justified, because we're counted as righteous in Christ, we also have the benefit of being transformed inwardly after the image of Christ. We're sanctified, so the righteousness of God is, rather than imputed, imparted in the sense of inward subjective change we are not accepted by god because of our inward improvements we are accepted by god because of christ's righteousness counted to us as a gift and a part of the gift is that transformation that follows that's the righteousness of god given to us as an internal possession it's a part of what we get because of the fact that we have the righteousness of God externally credited to us. Now at the end of chapter eight, we were considering the fact that God predestines all things and works all things together for the good of those who love Him, or called according to His purpose. And so there was this question: If God's word and calling are such great things to glory in, and his predestination is so thorough? what about the jews who were promised in abraham in isaac in jacob all of these things is not god unfaithful in casting off israel and so in romans 9 we are considering the righteousness of god in his plan of the predestination of all things for his ends by his means at His initiation. Now, let's read Romans 9, starting at verse 1. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not having yet, not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name May be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. He will say to me then, "Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will?" But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed? Say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and her beloved who is not beloved. And it shall come to pass, In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, Unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. But as it, as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion, a stumbling stone, and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on Him, will not be put to shame. This text is a powerful text. And I think the overarching points of it are quite clear when you just read it. People who do not like what it has to say seek to twist it. What we're going to do is we're going to be going through this text in pieces. Today we're going to be focusing on Isaac in the text. The text talks about Isaac, and then it talks about Jacob and Esau, and then it talks about Pharaoh and then there's the analogy of the potter and the clay. And each of these things serve a purpose in the building of the argument. And so we're going to consider these parts. Now, let's go back and let's verse, look at verses 6 through 13. Actually, I'm sorry, 6 through 9 is what we're going to focus on. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, the charge is implicit. Paul is saying, okay, you, you, you hear about Israel being given the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises. The fathers are from them, and Christ came from them. So, is it the case that the word of God was of no effect? That Israel received all of those things, and there was no effect? And so his response is to say, they are not all Israel who are of Israel. So what we're being shown here is that Israel is used in multiple ways. Because think about how this would be nonsense if he said, they are not all A who are A. Right? If he's saying, a thing is not itself, that doesn't make any sense. How does this Avoid a contradiction. How is Paul not saying nonsense? Because what he's saying is the term Israel means something different depending on the context. And so we have categories of Israel we need to consider now. In some places, Israel is referring to the descendants of Abraham and those who have naturalized into the country. You know what naturalization is, right? It's the process of becoming a citizen. So you have Israel that's descended of the flesh, in other words, from the ordinary generation of children from Abraham and those who by naturalization join the nation. That's one category. So I'm going to call that national Israel. There is the visible church Israel, which Paul starts out in Romans talking a good deal about. Remember the circumcision? He talks about circumcision over and over again and how baptism is now our modern entry rite in the New Covenant era. Baptism is the entry rite into the church. And so there is visible church Israel. Now, there's also spiritual Israel. Spiritual Israel. The believing elect people. And we have to realize that there's a transformation of visible church Israel after Christ comes and is resurrected into the new covenant church. And so we sort of have the way Israel can be used, it can be used to refer to national Israel, old covenant visible church Israel, spiritual Israel, and new covenant visible church Israel. They are not all Israel who are of Israel. Nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. Now this idea of children here has to do with, they're not all heirs, just because they are born from Abraham. But, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Now the idea here is, is in Isaac your seed will be named. In, in Isaac your seed will be regarded. In, in Isaac, that's the one, there's the chosen seed. And Paul in Galatians takes this same text and makes much of the fact that the word seed there is not plural, it's singular. So here's the key thing, okay? So let me, let me ask for your undiminished, unvarnished, maximized attention. Give me like 60 seconds of that. The children of promise are the ones that are counted as seed. And so open your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Okay, You're going you're to go forward a little bit. We're in Romans. We're going to go past First and 2 Corinthians. And you're going to see Galatians right after 2 Corinthians. Go with me to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 7. Still got like 30 seconds of your maximized attention. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Got like 15 seconds left. Go to verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. The promise is to Christ. He's talking about the same thing here in Galatians as he is back in Romans. The promises to Christ. and you're a child of Abraham if you have faith. All of the promises made to Abraham are yours in Christ. You are a son of Abraham if you have faith. What faith? The faith in Christ. The faith in the promised seed. The faith in the promised Messiah. All of the promises of Abraham are your promises by faith. They're not distinct promises made to national Israel that we don't get. We own them all. There are not special promises made just to Israel of the old covenant that we don't get to partake in. We own them all. If we're elect... We have all of the promises. We get all of them. We are heirs of all things. We're sons of God. When you see this, the thing I just ask you to give me maximal attention to, right? Romans nine eight, Galatians three seven, Galatians three sixteen, it makes very plain who gets the promises. That is called covenant theology. The American church is dominated by a different theology called dispensationalism. Dispensationalism teaches that there are promises to Abraham that aren't ours, that there are promises to David that aren't ours, there are promises that go back to Moses that aren't ours, and that makes it so the Old Testament is a worthless rag. It's the word of God emeritus. It has a retired status, and we ought not to listen to it because it's senile. That's what dispensationalism does to the Old Testament, which is 75% of the Bible. If you don't have the Old Testament, the New Testament is totally insufficient. The New Testament does not provide us with answers about all sorts of things that we need to know. The Old Testament is full of so much wisdom, it is so glorious, it is so practical. And understanding these three verses together makes it so that you can see that connectedness. And it helps you to see how the promises to Isaac work and a line of argument in Romans 9, so that we can believe in the sovereign God who rules all things and has called us to be regents underneath his authority to rule the earth. That is a powerful calling. And we are saved from that by seeing the interconnectedness of the Bible. You must know the Bible, and you must know it well. If you do not know it well, you will be held captive by false theologies that you've been drilled into your head that you don't even know about. You must know the Bible well. Covenant theology says that there's a covenant with Adam, and that's explained in the book of Romans. And that covenant is, do the good works that God commands and live, And if you don't do them, you're going to hell. We all break that. We're all doomed under it. There's a promise given to Adam in Genesis 3. And that promise is the promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That's the same seed being talked about to Abraham. The same promise. There's this thread of promise that goes through the whole. The same gospel beginning to end. Same promises. And so when we see that connectedness, that's one covenant of grace that's building on itself. Genesis 3, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 21, all this building of these promises. We move on. We see the building of these promises. They build on each other. They don't replace each other build on each other. Paul says in Galatians even in covenants between men making a new covenant doesn't just annul the old one. when, When Moses was given the law it didn't replace the gospel given to Abraham. It's not as though when Abraham was given the gospel that then several hundred years later that Moses, when he receives the law, is getting the covenant of works. The law is republishing the covenant of works, showing us that we can't save ourselves by our own good works. But there's also promises of forgiveness given to Moses. What are all those sacrifices about? Why is Moses told, give the trespass offering? Here's a a shedding of blood to remind you of the remission of sins. That sacrifice is given in the covenant with Moses because Moses is given the covenant of grace the gospel is preached in Moses it's the same gospel now there are many texts that in order to understand and draw this together that you would need to read you can understand it on the level I just explained. And that's the outline. But if you want to see the riches, there are more texts to go to. That's why I'm slowing down. But even then, I won't have the time to go through all of them. And so, what I need you to do is to write this down. Genesis 12, we have the promise given to Abraham. And I have on your Hand out, you see the promises given to Abraham there. In Genesis 15, you have promises given. You have the, the covenanting where God splits animals in two and walks between them. He's calling down a curse on himself. Abraham, if I don't keep this promise, I will be torn apart. And think about that. We're told elsewhere that God gives to us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a security deposit. If you don't keep your promise, what happens to a security deposit? You lose it. He's taken from me. That's the point of it, right? That's the same promise when we're told that we have the Holy Spirit as a deposit as what was said to Abraham when God went through the animals cut in two in Genesis 15. He's saying, I'll be torn apart. I'll lose the peace that I've given to you as a promise if I don't keep my word. Genesis 17, circumcision is given as a sign of the covenant. Now, Ishmael gets circumcised. He's 13 years old when that happens. Memorable event for him. He's a part of the visible church. So he's of the nation descended from Abraham. He's the natural seed, right? He's of the flesh. He's also in the visible church. And you know what else? Ishmael is saved. Ishmael is blessed. God hears his prayers. You can see that in terms of what happens in Genesis 18 and Genesis 21. You have this, what's going on with Ishmael where God hears his prayers and gives blessing to him. And Ishmael is three out of the four categories that we're talking about. He's not a part of the New Covenant Church because the New Covenant hasn't been put into place yet. Jesus hasn't come to fulfill it. There's not a replacement of those old types and shadows. So how is it that Isaac gets a special promise? Okay, so turn with me to Genesis 15. First book of the Bible, chapter 15. So we have all these promises given to Abraham here. And the response that Abraham gives running real hot from memory until all of a sudden you're not. I'm looking for uh, where he asks that Ishmael might live before God, where Abraham does that. Uh, Genesis 17, verse
1: 18.
0: Thank you. So actually go to two chapters forward Genesis 17, verse 18. Thank you, Mr. Nye. So there's the giving of circumcision here, which is the sign of the covenant that was given in Genesis 15. And so the there's this promise again of a child being born to Sarah. Now, Ishmael, remember, is a child born of Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. There was always the promise that the child would be born of Sarah. And what Abraham does, and what Sarah does, is they take fulfilling God's promise into their own hands and they use the arm of the flesh they use natural power rather than trusting the promises of God and so there's this child Ishmael and Abraham loves Ishmael and he wants him to have everything good in God even though there's this other child to be promised and there's this, this, this promised child and so what we're told is that Abraham says in verse 18, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah your wife shall shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Now, initially what you hear there is it sounds like God is saying, No, I'm not going to save Ishmael. But what happened is Abraham conflated two things. He merged two things together. There's this promise of the child that the covenant would be established in. And Abraham's associating salvation with the promise of this seed that will bring blessing to the whole world. That's in Genesis 12 and then repeated in Genesis 15. Now, He's asking that Ishmael might have spiritual life. And, but he's kind of mixing that in, in reality, with this. He's asking, look, all these promises that you're giving, can you just give them to Ishmael? And so God is saying, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you should call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. And with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael... I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Notice there's a promise of blessing. What is blessing? Jesus goes on in the famous Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes and he says, Blessed art the peacemakers, Blessed are this. And blessed art that. It's called the Beatitudes. Why is it called the Beatitudes? Because Beatitude is... The word for blessing. Okay. Talk about the beatific vision, the idea of the blessed vision. Blessing is about having happiness. And the lasting happiness that you have comes from having what's good. So being given what's good, seeking the good of the person you're blessing. God blesses Ishmael. He gives him the knowledge of himself. And later on, what we have is God hearing a prayer of Ishmael. And we're told before that, the idea that there would be blessing when Hagar runs away before she has the child. She is told that there will be a blessing on the child. And so there's this repetition of the idea that Ishmael is blessed and God hears Ishmael's prayer. The hearing of a prayer, God hears everything, right? He knows everything that's going on. The hearing of a prayer is not just as God's aware of it. The idea is God accepts the prayer. God only accepts the prayers of the righteous. And we're all not righteous. Ishmael's righteous in Christ. So what we have is blessing on Ishmael. Verse 21, though. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. What does it mean that the covenant will be established with Isaac? Well, it doesn't mean that he's a person in the visible church community. Because they both get the sign of the covenant. Ishmael and Isaac are both circumcised. It doesn't mean that person will be saved. They're both saved. The establishing of the covenant is who is going to be the one through whom the promised seed will come? Where is this king of glory going to appear? Where is the one who will crush the head of the serpent? This man will come from the line of Isaac, not Ishmael. That's what's being said. Now, in Galatians, and please write this down, okay, Galatians 3 and Galatians 4. Okay, so I've given you major chapters that would be it would be valuable for you to go and read these on your own, to think about these chapters and think specifically about Ishmael and Isaac, Hagar and Sarah. Okay, these are the those are the major texts: Genesis 12, 15, 17, 18, 21, and Galatians 3 and 4. What we're told is Isaac is the son of promise. He's the child who's of the spirit. We think about children of the spirit and we tend to think about people who have been given spiritual life. But Isaac and Ishmael have both been given spiritual life. What's happening here is an analogy. Which child was born by natural generation? And by the ordinary power of how things ordinarily work. Ishmael was. Abraham takes a young woman as a child by her. That's the arm of the flesh. That's the using things that are for us to accomplish these promises without the power of God. Sarah is so old, she cannot have more children. She can't have any children. She's been barren her whole life. But God causes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this barren woman, by ordinary generation, her creation with the husband, a child to be born. But it's a miracle. It's a sign and wonder. It's a supernatural event to repair physical damage of the deadness of her womb and cause her to have a child being born of the spirit versus of the flesh. Now, John chapter 3, Nicodemus and Jesus are talking, and they discuss the idea of being born of the flesh versus being born of the spirit. In that text, Jesus is talking about how in order for you to be born again, in order for you to have spiritual life, it requires the Holy Spirit to give you that spiritual life. And Jesus is using an analogy and Nicodemus says when I'm old can I go back again into my mother's womb to be born a second time right and this is him being silly it's an obvious analogy it's not literal and here what we have with Isaac is the idea that we're talking about being born of the spirit in terms of not him being born again But we're talking about the fact that he was born through a miracle. And so, he is born with a miracle in order to have the establishment of the covenant by his descendant, Jesus. Okay, so let's go go back to the Romans text. Romans chapter 9, verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. This is talking about Jesus. In Isaac, that's where Jesus is going to be. That's where Christ is going to be. That is those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So we have the children of the flesh and we have the children of the promise. Verse 9, For this is the word of promise. At this time... I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. So the child of promise, the promised child, is Isaac, and he's the one through whom the promised seed will ultimately come. Now, remember I started out with my give me a minute of your maximal attention. The children of promise are counted as seed, By faith we're children of Abraham. You are seed in Christ. So there's all of these texts that give the richness of this. Those three verses give the kernel of it. And so, when you go to Galatians and look at 3 and 4, there's this commentary on Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac and this idea of of being of the spirit and the idea of the law. And so you have this contrast of law and promise, law, gospel, and the idea that having a child through Hagar, through this young woman, was like trying to apply the law to be saved. It's the arm of the flesh seeking to save yourself. Whereas Sarah... And the promise and the spirit are aligned. That's the analogy. So don't be like Nicodemus and think this text has to be dealt with woodenly, where we think, do I have to step again into my mother's womb? Jesus somehow managed to not slap the guy. right? That shows Jesus' incredible self-restraint. What we have is the idea of Sarah and promise and spirit. Hagar, law, and flesh. And so this idea of where does our salvation come from it comes by the sovereign power of God. Now, Isaac is obviously the one who has this glorious public purpose of being the one Who through whom the covenant is passed along, and through whom Christ will come. So, what Arminians will do, people who don't believe in the sovereignty of God, right? They'll do, they'll come to this text and they'll say, This text is not about God's election of all things sovereignly. This is about service. This is about choice to service. And God chose Isaac for service. They're begging Nicodemus. They're looking at this and saying, ah, you see, Isaac here is the one who's chosen for this service. But the point is that God sovereignly, by his spirit, gave Isaac life. And that's the analogy. Now, we're going to go to Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau, Jacob's elect, he's, he's got spiritual life, and Esau does not. And when we read about that, we're going to look at the Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And that's also going to be about service. Because it's going to be talking about the group, Israel and the group, Edom. And so what we're going to see there is we're going to see how there's a literal love of individuals and a literal hatred of individuals. And there's also an application to groups and to service but it's about that service for the purpose of God's sovereign choice. And then we're going to get to Pharaoh, and we're going to have an individual. He represents a nation. But God hardened his individual heart. And God planned to harden his individual heart. And Pharaoh also hardens his own heart, because the way God hardens your heart is by making you harden your heart. So we're going to run through that. And then we'll go to the potter and the clay analogy which is about individuals from the same group being cursed or blessed. And the purpose of God in his glory. And the pretense of those who deny the sovereignty of God cannot hold up when you get there. It cannot hold up when you get to Pharaoh. But there is this twisting of the scriptures that seems a little bit profound, a little bit deep at the beginning here when you get to Isaac and you say, Ah, the election, the choice, the love. This isn't a statement about God choosing individuals. This is a statement about God choosing big groups for service. And that misses the point. Paul is answering the question about predestination. Paul's questions don't make any sense that he answers, the objections that he answers. They don't make any sense if you read it in the way that Arminians read it. You read this text, the objections that come up, Who who can resist his will? How can he hold me responsible? It doesn't make sense if you're saying God doesn't control your will. This text is a rich and deep text. The beauty of rich and deep texts is that you can get a lot out of them. The danger is that charlatans and conmen can take deep and rich things and twist them for their own destruction, and they can seek to destroy you. Comments, questions, objections from those with fluorites. rights? Mr. Cordova. Thank you for your teaching, Alderese. Uh, just a quick one going back to the attitude. So the attitude means blessing. Yes. Uh, and blessing, I believe you said, it is blessing happiness. So blessing is happiness. The way you have lasting happiness, right, is, is by having the good. If God blesses you, then God is giving you a lasting blessing. There's external blessings, right, but if you actually are an individual who's an object of God's blessing, as opposed to just having an external statement of blessing over you, right, then you will be happy indeed. You will have the good. And you will have happiness as a sign of that possession of the good, right? The knowledge of God, right? Right. Thank you, Thank you. Mr.
1: Nye? Thank you for uh, your teaching. I wanted to go to verse, verse six, chapter nine. And uh, when Paul when Paul says, for they are not all Israel or of Israel, nor are they children all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But if Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, and then verse 8, that is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. the children of promise are counted as the seed. Um so on the surface, and I think that this is what you're, what you're going through by going to um, Galatians four. But on the surface, this does seem to say that the Paul's implication here is Isaac is of of the promise for salvation. Ishmael is not. And is that am I being this here, is that what? Is that what's happening? Um,
0: So, yeah, what Paul is saying is that there's a way in which Isaac is a recipient of the promise that Ishmael is not. When we look at the text in Genesis 17, the establishment of the covenant is the specific promise that Isaac gets, that Ishmael does not. The establishment of the covenant is Who's the one that's going to have the the one who makes the covenant of effect? Who's the one that accomplishes the covenant? Christ. Christ accomplishes our redemption. He fulfills the covenant of grace. And so the establishing of the covenant of grace is through Isaac to his descendant. Christ, who is the promised seed. Isaac gets that. Ishmael does not. God sovereignly chooses Isaac as the one through whom Christ will come.
1: Okay, understood. Do you believe that's what Paul is saying here in these in these verses? That he's talking about the promise of what you just said. As opposed to individual salvation. Yes. Okay. So in this particular part of Romans 9, it's talking about the, the, the promise of being in the line of Christ. Isaac is, Ishmael's not, correct? Yes. Okay. Whereas these, the other parts of Romans 9, then those apply to individual salvation.
0: Yes, but there's also a corporate element. Yes. That's why it's rich. And that's, so what Arminians will do is they will latch onto the corporate piece and say it's only corporate. And then they will twist. They will take what I'm saying today yeah. and say, you're saying that the corporate includes individuals. Well, of course it includes individuals, but you're missing it. And I'm saying, no, no, no. It's corporate, but it's also talking to individuals. When we get to Jacob and Esau, there are things related to Jacob and Esau as individual persons, and they also represent groups.
1: Okay, thank you for explaining that. Um, Just real quick, uh, in Galatians 4, when Paul is contrasting um, the seed or the, the flesh, um,
0: verse twenty eight through thirty. Galatians four, verse twenty eight through thirty. Here I'll, I'll read that out loud. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So there's an analogy earlier on between the two women uh, and two covenants, starting back at verse 21. And it compares Hagar to the law from Moses, which is a republishing of the covenant of works. And it says that being of the flesh, this child is like self-justification through the law. And then there's Sarah and the child born of Sarah by the spirit as the child of promise. And that's like justification by grace alone through faith alone through the promise and so there's an analogy there but the analogy is not that ishmael is reprobate and that isaac is elect they are both elect of god the the analogy is only pointing to their origin of conception and their birth not to their spiritual condition so the analogy is using the condition of their birth to point to how you could be justified so
1: if you read this and say well Ishmael is born according to the flesh unsaved Isaac is born according to the spirit saved that's what you're talking about, being Nicodemus.
0: Yes, that's being Nicodemus.
1: Stepping into his mom's, womb. I'm sorry, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, his mother's womb. Jesus is obviously talking
0: about not that, but... Right. So, we're here. right. So there's... When we're, when we're examining analogies, we need to find the points of an analogy, what connects to what. Yeah. And so... Um, and we need to not make some things literal that are meant to be analogies. We need to find the literal meaning, but you don't find the literal meaning of an analogy by reading the analogy itself as literal, right? So I don't say, you know, you're as strong as a lion. You go, well, let me calculate the jewels of power that a lion can produce and see if that's true, right? What's the literal meaning? The literal meaning is I'm saying, you display great strength. And I'm using a, I'm using a, an analogy that is itself a hyperbole, right? And so it's a double figure of speech, uh, by point of comparison, and hyperbole, and that you get the literal meaning. We do it all the time in ordinary language.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Explain that. This is, I think, a prime example of how the scriptures require great skill and precision
0: in order to understand understanding. Okay. okay. Then let's pray. Great. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us to have a clear understanding of how the Genesis text and the Galatians text and the Romans text fit together. We thank you for these books. I ask that you would help us all to see Genesis and Romans and Galatians as very important texts. And helping us to see the outline of the Bible. And that you would help us, Father, to care to handle these texts that we would do so carefully, that we would study seriously. I ask that you would help us as we continue to go through Romans 9 to see the depth and the riches that are present. I ask that you would help me to know how to lay these things out to be seen. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.